The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the editorial team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday, a show about the changing nature of work and how that work is changing us. I first started watching Laura Linney when she played Marianne Singleton in Tales of the City. It was a 1993 PBS miniseries based on the books. Marianne was this young single woman who'd moved to San Francisco in the 70s, and the show had straight, gay, bisexual, even transgender characters. You know, it's hard to imagine now that LGBT people are on the screen all the time, but that show was really different. My dad is gay. I am too. It was one of the first TV shows that I could kind of see my own life in. Tales was Laura's big first TV break, and her career took off from there. She's won two Golden Globe Awards, four Emmys. Her credits include The Truman Show, Love Actually, You Can Count on Me, many, many others. Earlier this year, she brought back Tales of the City, and we are all waiting, or at least I am, for the next season of Ozark sometime next year. Whatever you do for work, chances are that you get some kind of feedback on it. But when you work in the public eye like Laura does, that feedback becomes a whole industry. Cultural criticism. I wanted to talk to her about how to handle that criticism when it's coming from all directions. The pros, but also the amateurs, the people on the street or on Twitter. How do you balance working on feedback, but also focusing on the work? I was really impressed with her take on this. Here's Laura. So, Laura, the first time that I remember watching you on the screen was in the early 90s when yes. you were Marianne Singleton in Tales of the City. Yes. And now I'm so excited to get to watch you again be Marianne Singleton. <laughs> it's wild, isn't it? <laughs> Is I know. it? Yeah. So what can you tell us about when you were first cast in that role? Mm. I was, you know, fresh out of drama school. I went to Juilliard and was... Film and television was something that really intimidated me. Yeah. It was not an, an area of of the arts that I really thought that I would that I would belong to, not out of a snob factor, but just out of uh, fear, really. You know that it just was a world that I didn't understand, that I wouldn't be good at, that I wouldn't enjoy. And I was somehow cast in tales in this wonderful part. And I remember there was a day that I was filming with Parker Posey in the grocery store of the Safeway. And there's a scene where we take these two carts and we're going down the frozen food aisle. And I'm in a one-piece denim jumpsuit and she's in this fabulous Parker Posey outfit. And I had so much fun. I had such a good time. And it was the first time the penny sort of dropped. And I went, well, maybe I can maybe do this. Maybe this is something that I might enjoy doing. Uh-huh. That I might not suck at because um, I was sort of first and foremost a theater actress and had always, you know, had grown up in the theater. My father was a playwright. I grew up in New York City. My whole life was the theater and it was all I ever cared about. So to all of a sudden see that I was, I had an attraction to something else was at first uncomfortable for me. And it took me a while to sort of figure out how to handle it all. So I want to go back to that early sort of first stage of your career mm-hmm. when you're coming out of Juilliard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what did you imagine that a, a successful career for you would look like? I thought it would be regional theater or off-Broadway. 
Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and now— And I thought that would be great. Right. Great. I mean, it would be great. And yes, it, it is great, yeah. has been so much broader than that It has as been well. way beyond what I could have ever have imagined. I'm very glad I didn't know. So what, it, what have you learned? If you had to distill— Oh, my God. You know, three decades. Oh, my God. three decades worth of— uh, <laughs> well, you learn a lot. You know, I've learned to prepare and then be very flexible. I've learned to prepare as much as I can for each thing that comes my way and then throw it all out the window and walk into a room and be open to something else. What does it mean to prepare and how has for how me. you've prepared changed? For me. Yeah. It, 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 it has changed drastically as I've worked in sort of the three different mediums of film, television, and a play, and the theater. For me, it's always story first. So I tend to read a script. I tend to try and listen to the script and have the script tell me how to prepare. And that's a combination of experience, hopefully some sense of talent, and a little bit of faith. And I know it sounds a little odd when I say you have to listen to the script tell you what to do, but it will. As it as the more you read it, the more you get to know it, it will take a shape. It will take on a life of its own. And it will become very clear like how's the best way in. So so there's a lot for me there's a lot of script work at first, which means breaking down the entire script as far as just the architecture of the script, then going through it again, sort of personalizing every reference that is made so that I know exactly what I'm talking about. Then you sort of look scene by scene, then you look chapter by chapter, then you look act by act, then you look the whole thing. So there's a lot to look at just with – and a script is very much like a blueprint that an architect would look at or a score of music. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the first step. Mm -hmm. It's the foundation, but it's the first step. When you're listening for that that script to Mm -hmm. love the language, the Mm -hmm. idea of it telling you the story. Yeah, and sometimes it's the language that tells you. You know, people speak in different rhythms depending upon emotionally where they are. You know, so you can see on the page if sentences are not complete, if they jump around. It'll give you an insight into someone's psychology. How much does intuition factor into how you make your selections about your roles? Yeah, for me, it's a big part of it. Yeah. For me, it's sometimes it's and sometimes it's completely irrational. You know, sometimes I'll read a script and it will be mediocre at best. And I'll sit down and with a director, and I just like them. And I'm like, okay, let's go. Like, I'll help you do this. I'd love to help you do this. Right. You know, sure. You know, sometimes it's wanting to work with a friend. Sometimes it's a script that is terrific, and you don't know anyone else involved. Yeah. And you just take a – you just jump in. So you sort of follow and, – and I, I, I tend to – I can – if I'm reading a script – and I involuntarily start working on it before I finished it, if I can't help myself. Right. If connections are being made, if I'm seeing things, if all of a sudden images are being revealed, if you know, then I know that's something I really have to pay attention to. Many female actors mm-hmm. have a lot of their biggest, boldest parts at the beginning of their careers, mm-hmm. and things change, and there are fewer opportunities later. And when you mean change, you mean age. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's what you're talking about. <laughs> And so I wonder if you can just talk about the way that age factors into your the opportunities available to you. Well, I think, you know, I'm lucky. I'm, I'm extremely lucky. And I think I'm 
in some ways an example of what I would hope every actress would have the opportunity to do, which is to, you know, you're somewhat of an ingenue and then you and then you you age into the next phase of being an actress, you know, which goes from leading lady then to character actress. And, you know, that's what an actress life should be. And when a culture sort of truncates that, it's it just limits everybody. It limits the culture. It limits the artists themselves. It limits the storytellers. It's uh, it's unfortunate. So in the theater, you're actually allowed to do that. You know, it's 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 integral to to most plays, <laughs> not all, <laughs> but most. But you know, so it's I've somehow managed to slip through all of this, and I don't know if that's because. You know, my career was never really based on my sexuality. I don't know if it was that. I don't know if it was because I jumped from medium to medium. I don't know if it's because my expectations were always, I think, somewhat realistic. Not, you know, maybe it's because I I never really wanted to be a great big huge movie star. That wasn't. What so do maybe, you mean when you say your expectations were realistic? I didn't come out of drama school and think I'm going to be a star. I didn't. I didn't come out and think I'm going to, you know, hit it. It wasn't, it was never about that for me. So, and I think that helped me in some ways. So what was the drive? Good work. Mm -hmm. Good people. Learning, connecting with other people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just wanted to get better. I I always just, I just want to get better. Yeah. You know, and, and acting for me anyway is very much sort of like a Chinese puzzle. You get to a point where you have this whole set of problems and you realize you're not doing them well and you need to get better and you finally crack the problem and you finally like graduate to that next level and then a door opens and there's a whole new set of problems. So you sort of have to earn the problems in a way. Like certain issues will not come up for you unless you're at a certain level. I love that framework for thinking about it, Laura. You know, that's so much how I feel about writing. Yeah. Just at the point when I felt like I was good enough to play, I realized how much I had to grow. How, how much we have to learn, always. Right. I think always. That's so for most creative And fields. the thing that I learn over and over and over again is that you have to befriend discomfort. You have to sit in discomfort and let it be, let it aid you, which is really hard to do. So tell it's me a really, story about that. In, in the theater, there's always something called the dreaded week three for me. Week three in rehearsal is always awful. Week two, week one is exciting. You're around the table. You're reading the script. Week two, everybody's up on their feet. You're sort of getting it going. It feels good. And then week three, everything falls apart. And you, you want to fall into the center of the earth. You don't think you're ever going to be able to do it. You see doom and gloom ahead of you. You just, you just lose your way completely. And then usually, hopefully, you know, you move into the theater. You have tech rehearsal. The show opens. And then you work through it. Right. But there's always that dreaded week three where you think this is impossible. This is never going to come together. I hate myself. I hate everyone around me. <laughs> you know, you that get, doesn't go away, you know, Laura. It doesn't go away. It never goes away. And I learned finally that when I was doing, I did The Little Foxes last year. And Cynthia Nixon and I traded parts back and forth. And so it was an enormous amount to learn. And I got to dreaded week three. And I just thought, what am I doing? Like, I'm never going to be able to do this. And then I, I just sort of sat and I had some sort of weird little epiphany where it was like, just sit in the discomfort, like trust the process. Mm-hmm. Like it's going to feel bad right now because your things are growing. And honestly, you know, your the ability to see what you want to do 
and the instinct that you have that you're following has to catch up with your ability to execute it. And those two things have to come together. And you have to let them catch up to each other. And sometimes that's just time. That's just the glory of time. And you have to have faith that time will be a salve, that time will point you in the right direction, that experience and goodwill (laughs) and a good work ethic will will sort of slowly guide you where you need to go. But it is a it's always a frustrating, terrifying period of time. But I I've the thing that's nice about getting older is that I, I know when I'm in it now. As yeah. opposed to just panicking and thinking it's never gonna happen. Now I'm like, okay, here I I'm here. I have to take a deep breath. I hate this. I want to tear the skin off my body. It's so uncomfortable. But I'm in week three. You know? Well, so Laura, how about when you get to the other side of it mm-hmm. um, and your work is released into the world mm-hmm. and people begin to review it and they mm. have some kind things mm. to say about it, often mm-hmm. some not kind things yeah. to say about it. Really mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, really mean. There's, you know, I try not to read reviews because I, it doesn't help me. And it's not a reviewer's job to tell me how to feel about my own work. I know how I feel about my own work. No one has to tell me. <laughs> like, I know if I feel good about something or if I know that it's not so great. Like, I have my own sense of that. Did you have to develop that? Yeah. Yeah. It took me a while to feel like I can remember. And I've been savaged. I mean, I was savaged yesterday. You know, I'm sure I'll be savaged tomorrow. Um, and there'll be nice people will say nice things as well. It, you know, it's and there's a there's a entertainment journalistic style now, which is harsh which is, you know, and unfortunately, I don't think the politics of our day is encouraging um, nuanced guidance. discussion. Gu- yeah, there's no, there's, no, there's no concept of nuance. And there's sort of no, there's no goodwill towards it. There's, there's a way to say something doesn't work without shaming someone. We're in such a weird time where people are being shamed and, or bullied or language is used to squelch and punish as opposed to, you know, so it's like, okay, that didn't work. Why didn't it work? Right. This is why it didn't work. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe, you know, that's always tricky. But reviews are, are tricky because it, it's human instinct to want to read them. <laughs> and right. you have to really make a, a, a decision. But because for Tales, for this Tales, um, I'm a producer. I, I am reading them. So. Um, and so is that. I just, and, some, I and sometimes, you know, you'll get a, a really bad review and you'll agree with them. You'll be like, you know what? They're right. And then you just got to be like, okay. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing. New currencies come and go. Decades of savings lost in days. All showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. I mean, I just I can think about how much I struggle with this personally. Mm. Does it get easier to divorce a bad review from a bad feeling that you have about yourself coming out of something? Uh, it's really hard. It's, it's hard not to, but it does get easier. It's interesting when a bad review will confirm an instinct. <laughs> You're like, you know. I was afraid that's what the case would be, and that's what the case is. Um, 
But then, but what I said before is that, and I think criticism is is important. I think it's important for public record. And I think there is a, a, uh, a responsibility that critics have for, you know, criticism should not be entertainment. Criticism should be criticism to help move an art form forward for public record, for history. Um, I don't feel that criticism for, you know, to use a bad – to use that work people put blood, sweat, and tears into as a pinata, you know, I don't, I don't feel as helpful to anyone. Right. Um, but criticism I really admire. Right. You know, really good criticism I find, I find really interesting and, and really good when someone can, can talk about a piece of work, why it was written, why it worked, why it didn't work, what's different about this, what's important about this, why someone should go see it. You know, uh, references to other productions in the past or, you know, that, that I, find, I find very admirable and, and, and worthwhile. But the reviews that are just meant to make you feel bad, you know, uh, just... Uh, I kind of wish that anybody who was writing could imagine that the first person in their audience was the person they were writing about mm. and that that person was the equivalent of their mother, mm. somebody they need to treat yeah. with deepest respect. Yeah. Or that they're in... The, I, I think people just don't see themselves in service to anybody else anymore. You know, like, critics aren't, should be in service to a greater good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, well, they, should be, they should be in service to the art form that supposedly they care about. Because I can't imagine who would want to be a, a theater critic or a film critic or a television critic unless they loved that art form. Yeah. You know, so if you love the art form, talk about the art form as if you love it. <laughs> right. right. Not as if you're trying to wound something that maybe doesn't work. Right. You know, and I'm not saying that, that there's not a place for harsh criticism. There is. Right. But I wonder what it's like for critics, the critics who are, who are sort of known for being really harsh and who are disliked by many of the, of the actors or the producers or the artists that they review. That's got to feel bad. Yeah. Because they must love the... I, I have to believe that they love the art form. I have to believe that. Right. You know, I have to believe they're spending their lives doing this. They're spending hours and hours and hours of their time and their emotional and mental energy writing these reviews. They must love it. And I wonder, like, where where does that go sometimes? <laughs> That's well put. You know, where does it go? So I wonder, like, what that conflict is for them. Well, it is interesting about the work you do, Laura, that when you are successful at it, you fully inhabit and embody another human experience in mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. Not many of us That's, get to do that. That somehow <laughs> intersects with my life in some way. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. as the way that we are all interconnected, I believe, in some way. Mm-hmm. That there's some, there's some like slight little area where people intersect. And that you can find that in the most surprising of places. But n- normally every character and every actor will have some intersection somewhere a sort of shared vulnerability where you it's, it doesn't even it's not even as general as that it can be as you know it can be tiny it can be a little thing but it there's some connection there's some inherent understanding and then you can build the character from there mm-hmm. you know just one tiny little thing mm-hmm. you know and it's you, you have to be careful I mean I'm just someone who I'm not interested in playing my life out over and over and over again I mean some actors do that and that's fine that's not what I'm interested in doing. But there is usually something that will make sense to me. 
Usually it's one line in a script that will all of a sudden be like, oh, oh, look at that. What does that mean? That's a reference. That, could that be a reference to A, B, C, or D? Like, oh, I get that. Oh, okay. I'll start there. <laughs> well, Laura, you know? having done so many things in your career, you, you live very publicly. I'm sure people probably stop you on the street and tell you how much they liked <laughs> any number of roles. Or, or things they didn't like. Or you, get, they, you get both. People do not stop you and tell you things they yeah, didn't like. Yeah, they do occasionally. Every once in a while. You know, it happens. But m- most, most of the time, people are lovely. So how most do you, of the time, they are. How do you figure out what, what of you to keep for yourself and what of you to share? Yeah. You, you, it's an important thing to be clear with yourself about. Because when you betray that, you feel really bad. Yeah. You feel really, really bad about yourself. You feel like you've betrayed yourself a little bit. So you have to be clear about that. And were you always clear about that, or did you have to learn along the way? I think I'm still learning. You know, I think you, you learn along the way. You learn as your life changes and morphs. And, and then there's the whole thing, like, what, what can I say that's actually helpful? <laughs> you know, really, yeah. it sort of gets down to that. Like, right. w- is that going to help anybody? Like, really? Right. And you try and say as much as you can through your work and let the work speak for itself also. Right. You know, that's part of it. Is, that's part of it as well. Well, I mean, I think that it's tricky. And you said earlier that you we're not a fan of this word, but, you know, there's Laura Linney, the brand and the business that allows you to continue to do the work God, that you're passionate brand, about. The brand. I feel like a box of soap. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like something by, from Palmolive. I mean, it's just the brand. I don't know how an artist can be a brand. I just, I have a hard time reconciling that. I understand that it's yeah. that it's taken on a different definition than the one that I grew up with and the one that isn't what I understand a brand to be. But it sort of makes me a quantifiable, inanimate thing. Yeah. And when you spend your life trying to connect through um, a, a different venue, something that has to do more with psychology and biology and spirituality and instinct and all of those things. It's hard for me to put a label on that, yeah. slap a sign on it, sell it, have it be bought and sold. You know, it's just a different – and I'm not saying there's not a place for that. I, I think it's very tricky to be an artist. It's very depressing to be an artist and think that that's what's happening to your work, Yeah, that it's all about that. It's all about that at the end of the day. You know, that, that's hard for me to, if I really think that through, if yeah. I track that idea through, it doesn't lead to a place that makes me feel good. Yeah, well put. So before we finish, I just want to ask about advice you have for others who want to be getting into your field today. Oh, my. Oh, my. Well, I, I, I firmly believe that whatever, you know, artistic venue you're attracted to, whether that's acting or photography or painting or dance or music or poetry or writing or I feel it will help everybody and anyone at any time in their life, whether they do it professionally or as a hobby or as an experiment. I just feel like the arts help everything. I feel they help mathematics. I feel that the greatest scientists are the ones who are the most artistic. And in some ways, the best artists are also somewhat scientific. Right. You know, I feel like there's a there's a balance there that they feed each other and they help each other out. Um, so I, I strongly encourage anyone at any age 
to, you know, throw paint on a canvas, go take photographs, go study, go watch other people's work, you know, get outside of yourself also. Yeah. Like, like sit down and watch a film festival of all of Betty Davis's movie movies and watch how she grows as an actress. Like, watch everything Meryl Streep ever did and watch, like, what happens to the evolution of that craft. Watch Maggie Smith. Watch Judy Dench. Watch them all. You know, but study. Learn from what people have given you. I think that's a lot of it, is take what we've inherited and use it, you know. Well, you said, and I loved hearing you say, it's it's not about being good at it or just if you feel compelled to do it, try it. Yeah. Um, that kind of runs counter to what we were talking about earlier about how difficult it is right now or how much we judge each other, how, how difficult it is right now not to say the right thing or do the right thing or be the right person in any given moment. Um, I feel like the, the lanes are getting narrower for people to get to try new things that they don't know. Well, that's something they just have to, that you just have to not care. Okay. You know, I think that's something you have to <laughs> yeah. see it as self-care. Yeah. Yeah. You have to see it as self-care. And, you know, and people are going to say mean things and people will say nice things. And you have to figure out how you feel about it yourself. That, that's the first step. Like, yeah. how do I? And it's okay not to know. But if you don't know, then, you, then you're susceptible to people saying things. So you just have to be protective. Well but, said. you know, I, I think it helps every, every industry. I think it'll make someone a better lawyer. I think it'll make them a better doctor. I think it'll, you know, make them a better judge. I think it'll make them a better politician. I think, I think it would make someone a better minister. I think it would make, you know, I, f I feel that the arts really are, you know, an invaluable foundation for any pursuit. I could not agree with you more. Thank you so much. My pleasure. This was so fun. Thank you. My <laughs> pleasure. Great. All right, that was Laura Linney. Her take on criticism got me thinking about my own work. In my last job when I was writing longer magazine articles, the very best edits would often hurt first. I'd have to put my ego aside and look at the work for the sake of the work. Sometimes it would take a day. But inevitably, being able to receive the feedback, it always made my stories better. I want to hear your stories about feedback that works. So talk to us. What's the best feedback you've ever been given? Why did it work? Drop us a line at hellomonday at linkedin.com or post on LinkedIn using the hashtag hellomonday. If you enjoyed listening, subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners find the show. And join me next week for a conversation with Leah Busky, co-founder of TaskRabbit. She tells the story of how one day she was stuck inside her house during a snowstorm, and that led to the idea for the company. And I grabbed my iPhone, which had only come out four months earlier. There was no app store, right? This was like early, early days of the iPhone. And I popped open the browser and I said, OK, if, if a site existed where, you know, I could get dog food on demand, what would it be called? Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn. The show is produced by Laura Sim. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is our technical director. Our music today was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. And you also heard music from Poddington Bear. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. See you next Monday, and thanks for listening. It's so interesting, though, like the... Um the cultural gap in the queer community that you touched upon. Oh, yeah. Have you seen The Inheritance? Uh, no. Wait till that comes over here. It's really? like it's one of the best days I've ever had in the theater. You need to take your father. Really? You will sob like a baby. But it's sort of today's 
version of Angels in America. Mm. But it's 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 called the. It's basically about. It, it was all of the stuff that we'd been thinking about for Tales as well. I think this is a far more poignant, more sophisticated look at it. But how, what the generations inherit from each other. That's interesting. And it's beautiful. Wow. It's stunning. So wow. I think that'll open here in the spring. It's yeah. two parts. It's like eight hours long. Wow. Go on a matinee day and see them both on the same day. Okay. The end of the first act, it's one of the best days I've ever had in the theater. It is mind-bogglingly good. 